0: My name is Ali. I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? Doing great, man. I'm doing great. This has been a, it's been an intense week on many
1: fronts. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Intense week on the on the on the causal front. Had lots and lots of calls um demos and things uh so yeah most yeah most days i had i don't know like probably an average of like six calls or something uh, and i find them very i find you know given though it's usually me who is like uh sort of leading the call you know demoing the product to someone or whatever i have to be like really switched on and so i find i find the calls quite draining uh like they're fun but then afterwards i need to i need to recover And it takes like, you know, if it's a half an hour call, it'll take me like 15 to 20 minutes to (laughs) to mentally recover afterwards, (laughs) you know? Um,
0: So yeah, a lot of that this week, but yeah, it was good fun. How about you? Yeah, I feel like I've had a pretty intense week as well, mostly because once I discovered Calendly links, I would just give my link out willy-nilly to random people. And so I've ended up having, again, tons and tons of phone calls each day, which have all been useful, but it's just when i look at my calendar and i see it blocked out with so much stuff that i barely have time to do my own work yeah yeah. like something feels a bit wrong there wait what i mean what do you mean useful like what are are these catch-ups with friends are these like random fans who want to talk to you or something or no mostly uh related to business stuff in in some way or another so uh this week we hired this week we hired four new people to the team so the team size has effectively doubled um so lots of calls associated with that various calls associated with you know the 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 book that i'm writing and getting people's opinions on that having a few issues with like the book contract and the uh, nuances associated with that about whether you go with a literary agent or not so i had a few calls associated with that just like random things here and there that have just meant that my calendar was basically fully blocked up with random calls but all of them have been useful in in some way or another Hmm. who are the four new people what are they doing so we've got two new writers um who are full-time on a one-month trial for now we have a new assistant editor who's in the philippines who's also full-time and we have a third person who is coming on as a part-time research assistant and he's going to be doing three days a week as like being head researcher for the book researcher what does that mean so when you're writing a book um often often it's useful to have people to help research the content okay so for example um you know for mm, the, the, the first section which is about meaning i have all these different questions like you know what's what's the relationship between meaning and productivity and you know is there a evidence-based way of setting a five-year vision is that even useful yeah the the, the these sorts of questions that have come up as i i'm doing my own research and and writing the book yeah. and so it's, instead of me trawling through obscure pdfs and finding studies it's a lot easier and more efficient to say to a researcher that hey look these are the questions i've got right now can you do the research and summarize the relevant papers and if you if you find any interesting stories or case studies along the way then that that would be great for me to know Oh nice. in a way their job is to give me as much raw material as they can find for then me for me to then craft into shape rather than me doing kind of the yeah the the legwork of the research yeah sure myself. oh nice that sounds like a, a good system yeah i mean it's all very much making it all up as i go along uh but i think in 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 terms of writing this book, I'm I'm trying to think of it in terms of you know how would how would like a CEO approach writing a book, and thinking in terms of systems rather than in terms of I have to do everything myself. Yeah. Sure. So the more I can outsource, the more that I, the more that I can delegate the bits that can be delegated, I think the easier it will be to just make a make a really good book.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that was the work front. What else is going on these days? You went on a Zoom date last weekend, didn't you?
0: I did. Yeah, it was quite fun. What's the Zoom date like? it's so i've i've been umming and ahhing about the zoom date situation for a while initially i was thinking what's the point of doing zoom dates because obviously it's better to hang out with people in real life but then i think i i I had a chat with with our mutual friend cliff weitzman and you know partly neil nando also was, was, was keen on this just being like at at the very least especially in lockdown a zoom date is a good way of screening out people that you just automatically wouldn't get on with and it's quite like, yeah, a, a sort of time efficient thing. And so I kind of went into it with basically zero expectations, but actually quite, quite enjoyed it. And yeah, we're having another chat later
1: today. Oh, nice. Doesn't this go against your like three date minimum, you know, try and have some low optionality mindset when it comes to these things? It does to an extent.
0: I think when, I think the three date minimum, I may have to revise Okay, (laughs) because like I think if if I can't uh, so okay so I'd uh, I'd have quite a low bar for what would make a successful Zoom date. Basically, my model for that is is am I uh, am I at least partially attracted to this person, and more importantly, is is talking to her easy? Like, does the conversation feel like it's flowing? And if the conversation feels like it's flowing over a Zoom call, then chances are it's also going to flow in real life. Yeah, but if the conversation great. is difficult over a Zoom call, then it doesn't really bode well for meeting up in real life to an extent. And obviously there's some some level of sensitivity and specificity here in that there are probably some false positives and false negatives. Yeah, yeah sure. But I think right now, especially given lockdown, it makes sense to to do these. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, if it's the only option, like what can you do right? Like
1: you, you could have a sort of what can I do mindset or what needs to be done mindset <laughs> and what can I do mindset? You, put, you might be like, well, you know, it's locked out. What, what am I supposed to do? I can't meet anyone and stuff. But like,
0: yeah, I guess if you care about um, moving forward in this part of your life, then it needs to be done. Exactly, mate. Um, so this year when I, I, d- I decided that one of my resolutions, one of my goals for 2021 was to make meaningful progress towards finding a wife. I was thinking one way of doing that would be to commit to, or or, or set the goal of going on at least one date each week with different people or possibly the same person. Oh uh, yeah, um, possibly the same person. Yeah. I don't really have too much of an interest in sort of courting multiple people at once. I feel like that's just <laughs> it's just a lot of effort. Um <laughs> we, d- we don't need any virtue signaling here, please. Uh, yeah, I think I, I feel the virtue signaling would have been saying that it's it's uh it's morally wrong. Whereas I'm, literally what I'm saying is that it's it's just too much effort for me. I just can't be bothered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it also takes you know, in order to do that, there have to be multiple people who are interested in a So, <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't mention that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Nice. My funnel well, is looking uh, a little bit uh, a, a bit dry these days. I hope the hope the date goes well. Thanks, man. Me too. Okay. A few things I want to talk to, uh, talk to you about. Um, firstly, we are going to talk about the righteous mind and go over some of the main ideas in that because that was... I think I've mentioned it a few times on the pod in the past, but it was like one of the groundbreaking books for me in twenty twenty when I read it. Just sort of changing my mental models uh, around stuff like morality and mm-hmm. and liberal, liberal versus conservatism and and that, that that sort of stuff. Before we go there, I wanna I I am having a bit of a an issue on the book front. So at the moment, we are still in the process of finalizing you know in inverted commas the book proposal. To send out to us publishers and i've just been i've 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 been umming and eyeing a lot about the introduction so the working title at the moment is the productivity equation which may or may not change over time which reminds me i need to register all of the relevant domains for that before this episode comes out so that no one (laughs) shouts me on that front (laughs) all right note to self um the working title is the productivity equation and the working productivity equation is productivity equals meaning multiplied by output divided by time okay now uh, the the problem is that in in the introduction i have to sell this as to why why this is the case and there are, there are a few different ways to sell it but the one i was i was grappling with this morning was i'll i'll read out to you what i've got what i've got so far for so initially it, it kind of starts off with a personal story about why i'm interested in productivity and how uh, I'm not really sure what to do with my life, and this is like a real crisis of meaning and purpose. and then um kind of inciting incident that I get approached to write a book, and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. And then that leads to me into thinking, yeah, I know all this stuff about productivity because I've read lots of books about it over the years, but I can't shake the feeling of what's the point of being productive, Like what is it all mm. in service of, and what are we actually yeah. working towards? And if productivity is a vector, then <laughs> you know I'm pretty good at the quantity, but I'm not very good at the direction. Um, okay, and so it becomes like a uh, hey, this is this is the stuff that I've discovered around how to figure out what to do with you, how I'm I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, and then we'll talk about how to actually be more efficient at doing it. So okay, that's yeah. Sort of, so that that's sort of the, the the opening story, and then we have a subtitle, uh, or rather a sub a, a heading: What is productivity? And I'll I'll read this out to you, and you can you can tell me if this makes sense or if you have thoughts on this. What wait, sorry. If- so so no wait. So so the title is the productivity equation. You, there's no
1: like tagline. You're uh, now reading a section of the dis- of the intro or of the proposal? Oh, I mean, the
0: tagline, the tagline is, or the subtitle is like the new science of getting things done. I mean, it, it, it's all very okay. subject to change. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I'm what, what I'm reading you is right. So we've got like 10 chapters of the book. The first bit is introduction and the introduction starts off with like this personal story, which I'm not going to read you in its entirety. Um, and the introduction ends with what follows is my exploration of productivity through the lens of meaning and purpose at its heart is a simple question. How can we work out what really matters to us, and then how can we apply the principles of productivity to work towards it? I don't have the answers, but I hope this book will offer you some useful ways of thinking about the question. So that's like the end of my personal spiel, and then we have a heading within the introduction. So like an H1. (laughs) Uh, What is productivity? Normal text. What even is productivity? A mathematician, a psychologist, and a sociologist would all give us different answers. Intuitively, we might first think of productivity as getting more things done. A farmer... Alex, who harvests 100 kilograms of grain, would seem to be more productive than his neighbor, Ben, who only harvests 90 kilograms. But if Alex works in the fields for 10 hours to harvest 100 kilograms, but Ben only works for 5 hours to harvest 90 kilograms, is Alex really the more productive farmer? He works twice as long as Ben does, but only harvests 10% more grain. Which farmer would you rather be? Which farmer would you say is more productive? An economist would put their money on Ben. In economics 101, productivity isn't just about producing more. It's about producing efficiently. And because we're all fond of equations, the economist's productivity equation might look like this. Productivity equals output divided by time. Farmer Alex's productivity is 100 kilograms divided by 10 hours, which is 10 kilograms per hour. Farmer Ben's productivity is 90 kilograms divided by 5 hours, which is 18 kilograms per hour. All else being equal, it's fair to say that that Ben is more productive than Alex. This makes sense. We're more productive if we get more done. But we're also more productive if we can reduce the time it takes for us to do our work. In other words, it's not just about getting things done. It's about getting things done efficiently. But let's put a spanner in the works. Right now, we're thinking of Farmer Ben as being more productive than Farmer Alex because he's more efficient at producing grain. But what if Farmer Ben's job isn't to harvest grain at all? What if his business model relies on him harvesting apples instead? What if Ben harvests grain as a way of procrastinating from his true job of harvesting apples? With that context in mind, is Ben really more productive than Alex? Probably not. Sure, he's making more grain and he's doing it efficiently, but he's doing the wrong thing. He shouldn't be harvesting grain at all. And so our original equation doesn't yet capture the essence of true productivity. Farmer Ben's problem is that harvesting grain isn't meaningful. It doesn't help him work towards his business goals. It doesn't get him any closer to where he wants to be as a farmer. And unless he's particularly fond of grain harvesting as a meditative hobby, it probably doesn't contribute towards his greater life mission either, whatever that might be. It's all too easy to confuse busyness and productivity. We've all had days in which we get through our to-do list only to realize that none of the tasks on it have got us nearer to where we want to be or where we've attended lots of meetings and seminars and sent lots of emails only to ask ourselves at the end of the day, what was the point in all that work? And so to my mind, focusing only on output isn't enough. We should instead focus on meaningful output. In other words, we need to work out what kind of work gives each of us a sense of purpose and put this front and center in our productivity plan. To this end, the human productivity equation is as follows. Productivity equals meaning multiplied by output divided by time. And then I'll talk about, you know, this, how this issue of meaning is already opening up a big can of worms. And meaning kind of means different things depending on your time horizon. On a very zoomed in time horizon, um, Farmer Ben, his work is not meaningful because his business relies on him harvesting apples rather than grain. If we zoom out a bit, we want to think, then we think in terms of, you know, meaningful goals like what does farmer ben want from his from his life and what are his goals uh, and then if we zoom out even further it, it becomes a case of meaningful life like what's his wider mission what does he want to accomplish what does he want read out in his eulogy at his funeral and the argument i'm going to make is that by thinking in meaning of meaning in these three different time horizons we can actually ensure that the work that we're doing or our productivity is moving us forward preferably in in all three realms that's sick man. I love it. I think that's so good. I
1: think the farmer analogy is really good. Yeah, I think that's just a really good way of framing it. I think maybe I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what level of feedback you want here. I th- I think like uh I think you could probably shorten certain so paragraphs uh and things like that, but I think like oh, yeah, yeah the, the the general stuff is like yeah, I think it's sick. I love it. Okay,
0: cool. Yeah, cuz it was it was the farmer analogy that I basically came up with this morning in my one hour writing session before this. Oh no. Nice. Like initially, what we had was we we had this sort of you know uh, Oxford's the world and data productivity graph and talking about like Adam Smith's The Treaties of Nations and it all felt a bit dry and academic and I was thinking okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah screw that mate let me just like boil it down to Farmer Ben and Farmer Alex
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's the best way that's the best way I love it yeah I think okay, that's really really cool. good. Um, still I, I, think the ti- right. I, I think the title and stuff is really stupid. There. like the productivity. Okay. I, mean, the, the, I, yeah, the, I mean, the USP is like the meaning stuff. So I think the title and or tagline should definitely be around like, you know, meaningful,
0: meaningful productivity or something. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah, we kind of the, the productivity. So when when you're working with a publisher, every, every book needs like a working title that they can yeah, yeah sure. internally as yeah. And we just sort of landed on the productivity equation because that was what um, one of my Skillshare classes was based on. And initially it was the whole pilot plane and engineer analogy. Yeah. have and you so moved away from that now. Uh, well, I don't know. So for the first, for the, for, for the very first draft of the proposal, we did have pilot plane engineer. And I liked that because, you know, when you're thinking about the elevator pitch of a book and someone asks you, you know, what's your book about? Or if you're on, I don't know, Good Morning America or something for 30 seconds and you get 30 seconds to talk about the book saying, oh yeah, you know, productivity is about being a pilot a plane and an engineer is, you know, it, it's kind of, mm. it's kind of intriguing. It's kind of interesting. It kind of, yeah. You know, as Malcolm Gladwell will say, it's it's the candy that people might talk about. Mm. But then we were like, oh, well, productivity equation. And if we're saying productivity equals meaning times output divided by time and pilot is meaning and output is plane and time is engineer, we're adding lots of- Yeah, you're, you're presenting like two, two separate metaphors. Two separate, separate yeah, frameworks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so we scrapped the pilot plane engineer thing and then in, sort of made it section part one meaning, part two output, part three time. But now it's just like, uh, it's a bit, you know, there's, I think- Stephen Hawking's editor uh said that basically, the more uh, every equation you add to your book halves your readership, <laughs> and so in, <laughs> example, in Hawking's brief history of time, there is only one equation. Okay, like, no, no, know, no. Look, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. well, if you're Stephen Hawking <laughs> writing about time, <laughs> I imagine the equations are going to be, you know, <laughs> going to have a diff- a d- Yeah, I mean, <laughs> going to have a signal somewhere. <laughs>
1: yeah i I think you need to take a step back (laughs) like your your equation i think is very different to the kind of equation stephen hawking might feel compelled to throw into his book a history of time um and i think like i think i think the equation framing i mean i'm i'm usually pretty skeptical of these kinds of equation type framings of things um but i i think like it appeals to people like it, it feeds into the wider kind of scientism of like,
0: <laughs> you know, it, of like, Oh, it's legit because it has an equation. <laughs> or like, oh, okay. It sounds sciencey. <laughs> so it feeds into another, that. So I was speaking to another author friend who said the exact opposite. He was like, the fact that it's got equation in it is going to put off more people than it, than it, than it appeals to because interesting. And I, I, I guess this is another quote struggle with, with, with writing this. It's like, who, who am I writing the book for? Um, I had a, a cheeky chat with James Clear uh, this week hashtag flex and I asked him about this because like everyone everyone says when you're writing a book or w- when you're creating anything you should have an ideal target, target avatar in mind and so I've done this exercise with my with my writing coach and stuff and you know <laughs> y- yes having an ideal avatar is is good and I would ideally like to write this book for someone like myself and James Clear said that he was he wrote Atomic Habits because he was like you know I didn't really think about avatar I just thought you know what's the book on habits that I want to read. But then the issue becomes is that, for example, um, if I'm writing it for like, if, if I think of my YouTube audience and then I think of I think of like the median kind of person and they're interested in tips about productivity, that median member of the audience is probably more interested in productivity hacks than they are in the actual in, in in like actually meaning, making meaningful progress towards their productivity. Wow. <laughs> Just uh, go and shit all over your own audience. Why don't you? <laughs> this is not about shitting over the audience. This is about recognizing that people want hacks r- rather than uh, or, or the perception that people want hacks rather than a sort of, for example, if I were to pick up a book about productivity five years ago, I would have wanted... How I manage my to-do list and th- and that kind of stuff. I wouldn't have wanted it to start with like a philosophical discussion about meaning and purpose and vision and values. That w- I I I don't think I was in the right place five years ago to okay to actually oh thank you Sheen uh, to actually think meaningfully in terms about about <laughs> about meaning. And you know if I if I think about for example David Allen's Getting Things Done, there's not really much about in that about fi- finding your purpose. It's and, and and like the insights in that book for me were like oh my god. I should do a weekly review. Oh my God, I should yeah, have yeah. a project list and, and sort of those yeah. like ta- tactical type things. And so what another author friend of mine was, was, was wondering is that by focusing on meaning, are you turning off the large majority of your audience who might prefer on the surface to be given hacks? Mate. In my head, I'm just, thinking, I don't want to talk down to the audience. <laughs> I want to, yeah.
1: <laughs> Mate, like I th- I'm very wary of generally like thinking too much about the audience man. Like- there's plenty of stuff out there on hacks. The The world does not need another book about productivity hacks. The world does not need another framework or system for like making notes. Like, you know, a lot of progress has been made on that front. If there is one, you know, gap in the productivity discourse, it is around the meaning stuff. So like, just, just write the book. That's like <laughs> that that you think is meaningful. I'm, I'm sure you, like if you were purely optimizing for sales, I'm sure you could sell out and do lots of things, but like, I why I don't see why that's interesting. Like, screw, screw the audience. It, like, if you think the meaning stuff is important and interesting, and like half of your YouTube audience doesn't think that, who cares? Like, mm. <laughs> why why do you want to just keep feeding the same stuff to the same audience? Like, I, I would have thought the interesting thing about a a new medium is that you can kind of re- reach a different set of people. You know, the kind of people that wouldn't what, be watching your YouTube channel and would you know wouldn't like mm. be re- doing doing like productivity stuff. Like, do you really want to sh- keep shilling the same stuff to the same people?
0: Surely you want, you want to sort of access a, a new kind of audience okay yeah, that's a good point that that was kind of my my feeling about it as well. I guess I just wanted to get your permission that that was okay to do
1: yeah man my my permission is always my uh, yeah my leaning is always towards the the art and the craft and everything else you know follows from that like I, I yeah I think this like maximizing audience thing I think it's I think it's kind of lame to be honest. I don't know why you're worried about that. Like you've already got a massive audience. Like the book is going to sell fine. Just make something that you actually think is meaningful and valuable, and that you're proud of, rather than just like optimizing for sales or something. And, and optimizing on sales based on theories. You know, it it might be right that you could optimize by doing life hacks. That might be completely wrong. Uh, I don't
0: know how much conviction you have on that. But cool. So you like the farmer analogy? Um, yeah. The thing I was gonna I was gonna work on for the rest of the day is figuring out. Uh, and I, I I wonder if we can brainstorm this figuring out. Using farmer analogy, how to incorporate the meaning bit into it, because I think I think on the most zoomed in level, farmer Ben is not being productive because like his business relies on producing apples and he's producing grain, therefore producing grain is not meaningful, but i think i I need, I need to think of like some something pithy for his kind of meaningful goals, the medium term time horizon and to meaningful life, his long term time horizon as well, that just you you know, you know in a, a a simple farmer way not saying farmers are simple, but like in a, <laughs> in a simple comma <laughs> uh, <common> analogy, <laughs> uh, gets, gets the reader to appreciate, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about productivity.
1: Yeah, I mean, we might be getting too into the weeds here, but I think, yeah, in, in the paragraph you read out, I think you didn't make an obvious dis- distinction between why the apples are more meaningful than the grain for Farmer Alex or whatever. Like you know, you, I might have said something like, yeah, you know, but it but it turns out that no one in an Alex's village wants to buy grain. <laughs> you know, they only buy apples. Oh, you know, like yeah. like that just makes really makes it a lot more obvious. And then you can like layer on a couple of more. It, but, and, it and it turns out that <laughs> Alex's wife and kids <laughs> just wanted to be home. And, you know, all these kind
0: of, you know <laughs> not out in the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay that's good Chat. yeah i guess I'm, I'm i'm looking for that kind of stuff where 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 the reader sees themselves in their view of like oh yeah <laughs> with like a, a kind of a, a kind of stupid example that everyone would intuitively understand but that wouldn't apply to yeah, yeah
1: yeah right right okay. yeah but no, i think it's good stuff man i really like the farmer stuff yeah i think it's great nice wait before we get on to the episode um there's one thing we should chat very briefly about i know mean, a bunch of people i think in our in our members community on Slack, I think a few, few people posted about this and had some like DMs and things saying like, you know, can we talk about the whole the whole GameStop thing? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think either of us are particularly qualified. But basically, if you if you have had your head in the sand for the past week, um, or if you don't go on Twitter, <laughs> oh, yeah, they're well, equivalent, to be honest, <laughs> <on> your audience. <laughs> yeah essentially it's been like a really crazy week in the financial markets Um, (laughs) (laughs) almost like 2008 like honestly it's it's been nuts so essentially uh, a lot of hedge funds this week lost billions and billions of dollars a few of them were even put out of business Um, a hedge fund is a company that sort of invest money in stocks you know uh, broad broadly that's like a really simple definition I thought uh, I hedge. <laughs> nice good, good stuff uh and so a bunch of hedge funds were put up put out of business this week and a bunch of very wealthy people lost an awful lot of money and the reason was that a bunch of nerds on reddit <laughs> decided <laughs> that they wanted to, to make this happen <laughs> and so uh the way they made this happen was that uh it, it, it was publicly known that a lot of hedge funds are, you know, don't think certain companies are going to be successful companies. Uh, you know, for whatever reason. For example, once coronavirus hits, a lot of people might conclude that, oh, I think airlines are not going to be successful companies at least for a while. Um, you know, once Netflix hits, you might think, okay, I think Blockbuster Video <laughs> is uh, is on the way out, kind of thing. Uh, and so one of the companies that a lot of hedge funds had, had kind of felt strongly that this company is screwed is a company called GameStop. Um, and it's a company in the US. It's sort of like a secondhand game store. Like you can go in there, you can sell them your consoles, your old games, you can buy secondhand game, you know, games and consoles and things, right? Um, and I don't, know how, I don't know how well the company was actually doing, but a lot of hedge funds placed big bets on GameStop not doing well uh, as a business over the, over the next like, whatever period of time. And so, um, what a bunch of people on Reddit did. There's a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, where I, I think you just like talk about stocks and things like that. They essentially bandied together to say, "Look, all of these, all of these rich Wall Street suits think you know have, have placed big bets that the Game Stock, that the GameStop stock price is going to go down. If we, as like a bunch of nerds on Reddit, can make the stock price go up sufficiently." then these people will lose a lot of their money because they'll lose their bets that the price is going to go down. And so essentially on the subreddit, I think it had like, I think it had under a million people um, probably like two weeks ago uh, when, uh, and now it has like a few million. Uh, everyone basically came together and said, okay, we're going to buy GameStop stock in order to push the price up. And I think the price up, went up like, I don't know, 600% over the past two weeks or something like that. Uh, you know, pretty... That that would be a lot even for crypto, <laughs> but this is this is like a a normal traditional kind of stock, and so the price went up absolutely loads. Um, all of these hedge funds lost their bets that the price was going to go down, and they had like such they placed such big bets on this that the entire fund actually went out of business <laughs> because of because of this. Uh, and so it was really crazy week because I think this was a kind of watershed moment where I mean in in this just like a you know a step change you know like a, a before and after a moment that kind of splits history in two you know um the watershed is is like the the time on the television where you can't but yeah after the watershed you can show like uh you can like swear on, on tv and, and show naked people and stuff
0: the word was originally a geographical term describing the area from which water sources drain into a single river or ridge like that formed by a chain of mountains which sends water to two different rivers on either side from that, watershed came to mean a turning point or dividing line in life. Oh, cool. did don't know that. Sorry, I continue. Wait, we
1: did that, that in GCSE Geography. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, I was focused on cave arch stack stump. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Crack crevice cave arch stack stump.
1: <laughs> I was more of a Oxbow Lake man myself. Mate, but each my my, my <laughs>
0: meander diagram. I was so proud of my meander <laughs> diagram. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, essentially, I, I think, like... Why this is interesting is that it's kind of the watershed moment where uh, I I think, I think there's a general trend that we're seeing where traditional institutions are losing their power and systems are becoming more decentralized and democratized, Uh, you know, like instead of going to university, you can now like, you know, do stuff online and have a Twitter account and write a blog and things like that and learn, you know, all all this kind of stuff. This, this is like a big moment, a, a similar kind of big moment, I think in the finance world. Where it shows that if if a bunch of uh, you know if a bunch of little people band together they can take down the big guy, and you know the faith in the big guy is now being eroded, and I think I think there were like there were lo- lo- lots of memes about this, but I think I think like the mo- probably the one that was the best description of the phenomenon. Uh, have you seen Planet of the Apes? No. Okay, basically it's about it's film where I think like some scientists are i mean apes exist in the world right i think some scientists like did something to one ape and that ape became like really intelligent and then he he started he like broke free he started like rounding up all the other apes he could communicate with them um and and the, the sort of catchphrase that he had to bring them all together was apes together are strong (laughs) you know like when when all the apes are together we're strong and so i I think that that meme was aptly used to describe this phenomenon (laughs) where the people on wall street bets (laughs) like used it to describe themselves as like (laughs) apes together strong like (laughs) Um, and so that that was pretty great and there was another phrase (laughs) um there's there's a phrase uh in i can't remember who said this maybe Keynes or something Uh, that is, uh, the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent, (laughs) right? Which basically means that, you know, even, you know, even if you think, oh, this business sucks, I'm going to like place a bet against it. Or I think this business is really good. I'm going to like place a bet in favor of it. You know, the market can do weird things for no reason longer than you can like hold your money there. Uh, and they adapted this, (laughs) this (laughs) quote, (laughs) this is somewhat uh problematic uh but the the adaptation was <laughs> we could stay retarded longer than you could stay solvent <laughs> and uh <laughs> that's yeah i mean it it basically worked then there, there was a whole like you know act to where like the trading platform stopped letting people trade GameStop and a few other th- of these stocks and people trade um I, i'd recommend reading into it i think it it is like history being made it's like absolutely insane um and yeah, it's just really fun to watch it unfold on Twitter. Um, I I bought some GameStop myself. I think a little bit too late. Um, I think I'm now I'm roughly break even on it. Uh, you oh, ended wait. up
0: putting a bit in as well. Yeah. I, so uh, so my editor Christian has been following this for a while, and like towards the end of last week, where it hadn't quite gone fully mainstream, he posted on our uh, team Slack being like, "Hey, I think you should get into GameStop." Really? Uh, and it was on a Friday that he posted. He said like, "You know, buy GameStop on Monday." <laughs> and I was like, Ugh, what the hell's going on? Like, what, what? What's he talking about? And then Monday came, and I was like, I just started looking into it. I was like, oh Damn, okay. And then on Tuesday, I bought in, oh, and I nice. think I'm, and I put, I put about, or yeah, it was, it was either Monday afternoon or Tuesday or, or Tuesday. And I think I put, I put two grand in on Tuesday, another two grand on Wednesday, and I think I'm plus thirty five percent, plus forty percent. Nice, that's solid. So, <laughs> I'm just waiting for the sell signal from Christian as well. <laughs> he was, so he's based in Romania, and I think he's using like trading two one two, and they halted trading. So he was saying, "Look, screw my next salary. You know, just use free trade and you know post <laughs> and, and buy me some game <laughs> 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 Then I think Christian put another like ten grand in like two days ago or something. He was like, "You know what? Screw this. <laughs> it's gonna
1: happen." So, yeah, I um, think it's gonna. I think it's gonna go back up. I, I I think like there's gonna be another surge, and I'm kind of hoping that Game GameStop becomes like you know in the in the same way that that Bitcoin is kind of. A, You know a way of tracking crypto as a whole like you know as crypto develops um and goes more mainstream the price of bitcoin is going to go up right i and i feel like there might now be this trend of like meme stocks and like you know like yeah this sort of decent decentralized investing kind of trend and since gamestop was the, the the one that sort of kicked it all off i'm hoping that it might be a similar case where like you know, people people just like buy and hold game stuff. <laughs> almost for like, <laughs> just, for fun. Yeah, just for fun, just on principle, as like you know, like whatever, whatever you would call it. So yeah, I I think it'll go back up. We'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, that was, but yeah, that
0: that was partly why I bought it. I was like, you know what, I don't actually I, I feel like I want I want to be part of history right now. Yeah, I want to be part of history. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't really care whether I make make money on this or lose money on this.
1: <laughs> I just want to be part of it. <laughs> but um what's the deal so is there another fund like ame or something like that amc yeah it's it's a cinem- uh, uh, cinemas you know <laughs> another like obviously obviously meme stock <laughs> to like invest in <laughs> in physical cinemas <laughs> when there's lockdowns and things like that um yeah that's another favorite of wall street bets which has also gone up quite a lot
0: mm. yeah i i, I guess this is one of those things where now that Wall Street Bets has so much attention, it's probably a lot less potent for an individual to be chilling on Wall Street Bets.
1: I don't know, man. I mean, it's very it's very easy to call, like, the top of a trade. You know, five years ago, ten years ago, you would have probably thought, man, this YouTube thing, yeah, been there, done that. You know, YouTube is on its way out. Like, I don't watch YouTube. Either. Yeah, like podcasting, you know, five years ago, someone might have thought podcasting, oh man, that's such a fad. Like, everyone, you know, everyone has a podcast. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Good point. It, yeah. Like,
1: it's, it's just so easy to say that. Yeah, uh, it's not with I,
0: Bitcoin. <laughs> Where yeah. it's Like, you know, it surged to 20K and then it fell and Bitcoin has had its day.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, th- I think like, I think there is, there is a broader trend towards decentralization of everything. Uh, and yeah, I think this is just the first thing. And so I think it's, I think, you yeah, know, it's going to continue. Anyway, you know, let's not make this too much of a tech bro podcast.
0: Um but yeah, I think it's just a really interesting cultural moment. So we we've, we've been recording for 37 minutes already. I feel like the 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 righteous mind is like a a very a lot Yeah, a lot yeah. yeah.
1: Let's let's not do that. Wait, let me get let me get some dip on. Uh, all right. Here's one thing I look we're not going to do the righteous mind. Uh, we don't really, really have enough time. But one thing I've been thinking about, which I've been meaning to flesh my thoughts out on is <clears throat> the social media grift. The what? Are you familiar with the term grifting?
0: Uh, like sort of being a hustler who sort of
1: steals Yeah, right. People. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of, yeah. I think a, a, a grifter is someone who like swindles people for money, leaves you know, sort of scams people out of money, basically. Uh, and it's a term that's, 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 be, that's being thrown around to describe, you know, like someone, <laughs> someone who sells online courses <laughs> uh, would be described, you know, certain kinds of like online courses, like I will make you rich kind of course. Um, you know, would be described as a grifter. You know, people like Ty
0: Lopez, for example.
1: You know, Ty Lopez.
0: Uh, I know vaguely of Ty Lopez. The whole, hey, I'm in my garage and I've got a Lamborghini behind me. But yeah, on, yeah. Here I've got my bookshelf.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So I think a lot of people would describe Ty Lopez as a grifter. Um,
1: and there's this, re- there's this trend. Okay, I think, I think, I think being a creator on the internet is now a very legible thing. Everyone understands what it entails. More importantly, everyone understands that there's a lot of money to be made if you are a successful creator on the internet. You know, five five to ten years, like ten years ago, for example, you can pretty much guarantee that the people who were creators on the internet were not primarily in it for the money. They would have gotten into it just because, you know, Logan Paul making stupid videos with his brother just because it was funny. You know, Nigga Higger making stupid videos with his mates because it was funny. Like, if you look at the original kind of, or, or the earlier batches of who, who you consider to be creators. And if you look at people who've had like blogs and podcasts for 20 years, you can pretty much guarantee none of, none of them went into this thinking, I'm doing this for money. You get, the, they went into, into it for like, for fun, the arts, the craft, whatever you wanna call it, attention even, uh, but it wouldn't have been money. But now, uh, now that the sort of, the whole thing is a lot more mature, it is a very legible path towards um, making money essentially. Uh, and it's just much more of a legible thing in society. Like people now identify as a, like, I'm a YouTuber and people will know what you mean, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and because it's now legible, you sort of have this sort of second or third wave, you know, depending on how you define the waves here. You now have a wave of people who are getting into it for the money, mm. um, getting in. And yeah, there's always multiple motivations, but like the, the money is definitely part of it. And so uh, you see a lot of people, you know, just trying to, trying to gain a following as like the starting point. I want to gain a following. Um, you know, I want to get followers. I want to like, I want an audience, you know, I want to build an audience (laughs) like that's, that's kind of the starting point. Um, and I think we're also seeing a bit of a backlash, uh, against this particularly, I think particularly on Twitter, because I think Twitter is something that different people use in very different
0: ways. Um, and I think there are, Sorry, For most, I'm 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 often surprised with the Twitter thing. Just as an aside, like I feel like for most normal people, Twitter is not where you get fortune cookie, cookie cookie tweets from Naval. It is actually where you get news and you know celeb celeb gossip. And oh my god, I log into Twitter and then I feel I feel awful every time I do it. Like that is much more of a meme than I log into Twitter and I get fortune cookie tweets from Naval.
1: I like I I don't know what, what what gives you that impression. I have no idea how. In quote, normal people like non tech people use Twitter. I don't really know to be honest.
0: Um, basically, all of the non tech people I know, and I mentioned Twitter, though, they they have a response of, oh, isn't that where you just get like troll comments and like you know flame about politics used politics and stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's. I mean, that's definitely how a lot of people use Twitter.
1: Um, but I think now it is it you know it is also being used by people who want to you know build an audience and get a following and stuff like that. Um, And there are some very like transparent tactics that people use to do this. I think I mentioned one of them before where, you know, if you're a new Twitter account and you don't have many followers and you just want to get followers, you can like, you know, make a, you know, tweet something about a list. Oh, my like top five favorite YouTubers or my top five favorite books this year. And then you can like tag the people who wrote the books or tag the YouTubers themselves. And you know out of like courtesy or something they will like your tweet and once they've liked your tweet it'll appear on other people's feeds and so on and, and and you can sort of keep mining these sort of lists of tags uh, a, a bit like how in the in the older days you if you had like 100 hashtags on your instagram picture you just get a bunch of like random likes from people right um it's, it's kind of similar to that another another sort of format that is starting to take off is uh <clears throat> is threads um where you'll you'll you know in the first tweet of the thread you will present some like thing, and then you know, you you also create some suspense. You'll say, "Hmm, I just learned about this one this one weird trick <laughs> to like do, to do X, Y, or Z." Time for a thread, and then you'll have the finger pointing down emoji. <laughs> this is like this is this is classic, <laughs> and then you'll have like a thread about you know some random insights, or or, or it'll it'll often be like the equivalent of a bu- a BuzzFeed listicle of uh, you know here are the here are the top top twenty um, you know, productivity trips, are tricks I've learned over the past five years or something time for a thread, And then you'll have like these things in a thread. Um, and it's like engagement bait basically. And a lot of people are starting to speak out against this where it's, I think there's, there's a sense that it's inauthentic and it's very transparently inauthentic. And it's like very obvious that this person is trying to, trying to build a following and it's kind of cringe. Basically it, it comes down to it essentially being cringe because you're watching someone um try to try to build a following okay and look here's the thing here's here's where it gets complicated i find it cringe but i think i'm not sure how i'm not sure like whether it's valid for me to take my cringe response and turn it into something more you know and pretend it's some kind of like um you know principled stance against it because whoa what's going on here what has happened I think we had an audience member join the podcast. Oh, uh, yeah. So look it's cringe, but it's cr- I feel like it's cringe in the same way that when you're, you know, we, on episode one and uh, two of the podcast, we were talking about, you know, the early days of you starting on YouTube and you'd like have, you know, be like vlogging in lectures and stuff like that. And since like <clears throat> you had, I don't know, five subscribers or something, people would find it cringe. It's like, oh, what is, what is Ali doing? Like, Man, that's, that's so cringe. Like stop recording or whatever. But now that it's much more of a big thing, you know, no one has the same reaction to it because it's like you know it's sort of an actual thing now and so i feel like maybe part part of the backlash is just this cringe response that everyone has when you watch someone try to like try to leave their station <laughs> in some way you know uh, do you get yeah. what i mean trying to
0: break free from the barrel of crabs
1: <laughs> yeah yeah like when when you when your friend is on like 10 subscribers and they're making their, their silly little youtube videos You'll look at it and you'll think, "Oh man, this is so cringe. Like, what are they doing? This so embarrassing." Kind of thing. But then, when, when your friend is on like a hundred thousand or a million or whatever, you, your attitude towards it is very different. And so, I think maybe, yeah, maybe that's a mm-hmm. big part of it. I
0: mean, do, do you want to say some stuff? Yeah. So, I've 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 been noticing this pattern for a while. A, I think the the sort of tw- tw- Twitter threads are cringe is a very niche elite type <laughs> person on Twitter. Someone who is the founder of a company that is already successful, someone who's potentially has who's been in this game for a while and can appreciate like the meta game that's going on. So, someone like I don't know Sahil from Gumroad is going to be taking the piss out of this thread thing, but he's 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 kind of already made it. If so, I was I was looking at one of Julian Shapiro's threads the other day. Julian Shapiro has like ninety thousand followers on Twitter. That's a big deal on Twitter, and it was genuinely a good thread. And he's been open about the fact that the way you the way you grow on Twitter is through threads. And the thread is good. And, and because of Julian Shapiro, whereas if someone with three followers were to post the same thread, I would also feel a bit like, oh, mate, what are you doing? Um, mm. If if James Clear with his 1 million Twitter followers posts a thread about, hey, here are five things I've learned about habits this year. <laughs> no one is going to complain about that. No one's going to think that's cringe. He can post whatever thread he wants. Whereas if, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, Twitter account with 10, 10 followers were to do the same, that tiny, tiny, tiny segment of elite Elite tech Twitter thinking that we're better than everyone else will will have a cringe response to that. I think it's deeply unfair. <laughs> so I, I I think it's unfair, but I don't think
1: I think the phenomenon is more widespread than elite tech Twitter of like founders who have already made it. Uh, I think like there there are there are lots of people on tech Twitter with you know sub ten k followers, you know sub twenty k followers who use Twitter very actively, but they use it in a different way. I, I think part of the issue is that. People also use it in a different way. Like some people, you know, see Twitter as like mainly just like a business thing, Um of like you know trying to you know what, whatever their whatever their hustle is, they, they want to use Twitter Twitter as a channel to grow that. And I think that's perfectly valid. Um Like there's a guy, uh there's a guy whose username is, I think it's, it's sweaty startup, and basically his hustle is that he, I mean, it's it's the most niche thing ever, but it's it's actually pretty interesting. His hustle is that he buys self-storage facilities in the middle of nowhere in like random middle of nowhere kinds of towns and cities and then like makes them slightly more efficient and kind of raises the prices and then like sells them on for profit uh he's like (laughs) the self-storage facility guy (laughs) and uh he's grown a lot on twitter he does lots of threads just like explaining various like tactics and how, how he does that, that kind of stuff. And it is, it is very interesting. Like I, 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 I don't know anything about that world until I started following him. And he, he basically almost exclusively just talks about like his work, i.e. like real estate investing specifically in self-storage. <laughs> right. Um, and through, you know, from doing that, uh, he's, you know, won his network, he's, he, he now like, you know, has, has done lots of deals with random people on Twitter, where they'll like buy a self storage facility together and sell it on and all this kind of stuff, so it, it's like it's like a great vehicle for him to advance his business and I can't really knock that, but I think I think the issue is um, yeah I think partly the issue is different people use it in different ways so i, ha- I have a I have a Twitter friend um, who's we found we out in real life who I think is really the eminent thinker about the eminent thinker about online. So online slash offline social interaction. Uh his name is Ryan.
0: Right. right. And
1: again, this this is not some like this is not some like elite, you know, already made it founder. You know, he's, he's working on a fairly early stage uh company right now. Um but by no means has he already made it at all. Uh but he's been like very active on Twitter for a while. To give you an idea though, he has almost eight thousand followers. Okay? But I think he is somewhat like his his thing on twitter is really just about keeping it real and connecting authentically with people and i think he's gotten tremendous business value out of twitter but not because he was trying to squeeze business value out of twitter he he has gotten tremendous business social all sorts of value out of twitter by just you know being authentic keeping it real connecting with people in like a real and normal way and not try uh, and not having any kind of grifting going on uh you may there's an app called Clubhouse, which is now sort of uh, starting to enter the mainstream. It used to previously be like a tech Twitter sort of uh, thing. Let me uh, let me just find this post that Ryan did uh, recently.
0: Yeah, I think what, one thing I think about when it comes to this kind of cringe, cringe responses, kind of seeing seeing what people are doing on on social media platforms, is I think it's I think it's the same problem as in real life when you see someone vying for social status like social status and prestige is such an important part of the way that society organizes itself. But as soon as someone is seen to be actively working towards it rather mm-hmm. than gently working towards it, everyone has a bit of a, a cringe response to it. Yeah. Um, they talk about this a lot in, in the, in the elephant in the brain about how, you know, it's all, it's all well and good being, I don't know, the alpha, but if people think that you're trying to be the alpha, then right, yeah. it causes a problem it's all well and good having a good, a good job that gives you prestige. But if people think that the reason you want that good job is so that you can get the prestige and compete with the Joneses suddenly it like the, the, what's the phrase? The curtain, the, the curtain falls and the, yeah, the emperor has no clothes. Emperor has no clothes. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's very much related to that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how I actually feel about that. Like it's, it's definitely cringe. If you're watching someone intentionally vie for social status I think there's just something ulterior about that. There's game playing going on. You know, it's just in, it's inauthentic. There's there's there is an ulterior na- nature to, in you know, intentionally doing something directly for social status. And I th- I think I think it's like understandable and defensible that you don't want to, you know, you wouldn't want. I'm trying not to be too strong in what I'm saying here. Not not from a hedging point of view, but really from a accuracy point of view. Like it, it's understandable. If, if you find it off-putting, if someone is intentionally trying to increase their social status for its own sake. Okay, so actually, so in, um, in 2015, Ryan uh, wrote this sort of like blog post uh, about kind of Twitter stuff. Actually, in 2011, Ryan wrote this blog post about Twitter stuff. Uh, so this is like nine years ago now. This is like very, very early on. Uh, all right, I'll just, I'll read the post. It's very short. Uh, many friends, students, and even young professionals that I encounter continually downplay the, the potential positive impact that maintaining a blog or using Twitter in a mature way could have on their personal growth and or career aspirations. Despite various examples on a daily basis how they could be using the various tools, Twitter is still equated with the Facebook status and blogging is what Perez Hilton does. So obviously, look, this was this was nine years ago. A lot has changed since then. I think the perception um, has kind of changed. Um, and Ryan says, I still urge them to think about the question, how many people outside you know how many people outside your university that aren't your family know who you are and what your passion is for the individuals that are receptive to start using these mediums the first thing i personally try to impart on them is the goal is that the goal is to be and reveal rather than brand or craft a perception of them the goal is just like to be just just vibing you know the motive behind tweeting blogging or commenting is not to artificially create a brand for yourself social media media and the web doesn't exist so that you can use smoke and and mirrors it's not to think think yourself, you know, what would my future employer friend want to see and then set off trying to build a disingenuous perception of yourself. Rather, social media and maintaining a strong web presence is about revealing who you truly are, what you are passionate about and what you are doing. It's about bringing the real insert name here to the surface. The audience of your tweets and blog posts is often a mixture of peers, friends, acquaintances, co-workers and future employers. A personal balance must be struck between fun, professionalism, candid thoughts and frequency. You should strive and continue to work at becoming a uh, talented, whatever, a thought leader, or an expert, whatever you want. But the emphasis here is, is that who you are online is representative of who you are in reality. That way, when you do meet someone in the physical world for for a coffee at an event or an interview, there's no need to bullshit or fake it. Um, and I think one, so he wrote this in like 2011, um, which was you know, very early on pre, pre, like most people kind of getting into this stuff. Um, basically like urging people you know, just like keep keep it real just like be authentic don't try and like create a brand for its own sake all this kind of stuff um and then now that now that it's a club so clubhouse is this uh this social audio app where you can basically join a room and there'll just be a bunch of people speaking and you can listen in and you can raise your hand and you can speak as well um it's uh i think it, it, it went viral over the past few weeks slash month or two uh it's kind of been around for a couple of years ish um yeah, I think I think it's like definitely going mainstream. And Ryan has kind of um, been on it since uh, basically since day one. So he's really seen it evolve. And and the app that he's working on himself is also like a, a social audio app. Um, so he's really thought a lot about this. And now that Clubhouse is going viral, uh, you see a lot of people on Twitter, you know, with their hot take about why like uh, <laughs> why like Clubhouse is the next big thing and why social audio is so meaningful. and All this kind of basically kind sort of jumping on the bandwagon with their now obvious thought leadership after the fact, like after the thing has already gone viral. Um, And yeah, Ryan did a a few tweets saying, I would have appreciated your clubhouse takes six months ago, thanks. (laughs) Everyone just simps for known things. Time away from the timeline has been so healthy and refreshing uh <laughs> he says peeps pontificating here are fucking losers <laughs> go put your brain on the line with an ounce of independent thought or just go build <laughs> he, he's obviously like very very like i think you can feel the anger <laughs> through through the thread <laughs> uh I, I i wouldn't like read too much into that he's actually a great guy uh and and like you know, generally is not like this he says it's actually disgusting <laughs> i really think folks will look back on 2019 to 2021 tweets as a blemish on their career and personality cool you captured attention with your like pointing down threads and you captured an audience um dot 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 that continually ridicules you off timeline but can't say shit publicly because of intent incentives and the game um so you're saying that like you know all these people who have like audiences or whatever you know, you can't, you can't like publicly on, uh, speak out against people on Twitter. It's just like a bit rude, it's not really the, the, the dumb thing. Um, uh, but in real life, all of these people, um, uh, you know, are sort of ridiculed, um, more, more privately. And it, it's not something that people can publicly say, but a lot of people find this stuff distasteful. Um, maybe true, maybe not. Uh, and then he says, this isn't a thread I precomposed and sent via Tweetbot at the optimal time, hoping for your RT and follow. <laughs> um, and he says it's, it's a similar dynamic as, you know, it's so cringe to see an acquaintance on, on Instagram with no personality or edge trying to become an influencer with 4k followers. Uh, I don't care if you follow me like this shit, subscribe to riff his app, share it, etc." Ah, uh, the inputs for a decade have been for others to feel and understand who you are, not craft a shallow, timely veneer to harvest the zeitgeist. I hope the right peeps truly win, um, so they can say what they want. Um, yeah, he's he's obviously very angry about this, and I and I, I feel the
0: anger. But uh, yeah, I mean, w- what do you think? Um, hmm. So I think he's got he, he's 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 clearly got strong opinions about this stuff. Yeah, I think I think the problem is that. Let's say, OK, I'm, I'm thinking out here, but let's say you were at a, at a real life kind of networking event or, or something like that. And someone was being too much of a salesman mm. and was kind of doing the thing of entering every group and being like openly loud and charismatic and be like, oh, hey, shaking hands with everyone in the group and like, you know, really Excuse playing a part of being like the uh, networker. And at the end of it, would be like, you know, I, I, I sell these used cars. I'd love to get you a good deal. and hand them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, there are going to be some people in this networking event who will think, who, who, who won't think anything of this. Be like, oh, this guy's, this guy's social. I've got a business card. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy his car. There are going to be a small number. There are going to be some people in this, in this networking event. The sorts of people who've been to, been around for a while, who've been to networking events for a long time, who can see through the facade and see that this guy has read a book about sales recently, and this guy is a blowhard, and this guy, what the, what's he doing? Come on, man, read The Room. This is not, you know, it said networking event, but but networking isn't actually about business networking. It's about being authentic and creating friendships and all that kind of stuff. Those people would look down on this guy for his hustle and for his grifting and for his handing out his business yep. cards. yeah. You can't knock the guy for doing it because he needs to support his family. (laughs) He needs to sell his cards, Uh, his his used cards. He needs to hand his business card out to people. And weirdly, the fact that he's doing it at this networking event actually does work. And I think Mm. this is- Yeah, it does. The problem with mixing, I I, I don't say problem, but this is is what you get when you mix business incentives with personal incentives. Some people are at this networking event to keep it real with the bros and to meet a new person that they can invite to their weekly juntos. For example, other people are at this networking event to give out business cards and to close close deals. The problem is that it's the same networking event. And some people are going to see this as a, p- a party where you, where you should be your authentic self. And others are going to see this as a party where you can be your business self. And this is the issue with Twitter. Ryan sees Twitter as a place where you can be your authentic self. Whereas, insert <laughs> Twitter blowhard here, sees Twitter as a place where he can grow his audience and grow his business. Yeah. All right. <laughs> You know, blowhard is going to grow his business and is going to get followers by his hot takes about Clubhouse six months too late. But in fact, for most of the people on Twitter who don't didn't know that Clubhouse Clubhouse existed until last week, the you know those tweets would seem prescient if that's the right word, and they would therefore therefore follow him, and be like, oh, this person's working on a startup. Let me check out a startup, and he gets sales as a result of this. So I think, yeah, I I, I can see it from both angles. Um, I'm always. Wary of knocking people too hard when there are business incentives, and you know people are doing what they can to support their families.
1: Yeah, look, I, I agree. I think I think the fundamental issue is that people use Twitter in different ways. Like this, the sweaty startup guy, self storage, who does the self storage stuff. Um, I think his stance on Twitter has changed. I mean, he's 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 kind of gone from like basically zero to like one hundred, almost one hundred k followers uh, in, over the past year or something, um, and I think his view on Twitter has kind of changed where. Yeah, I think he, he I think he felt some of the negative effects in his personal life of like caring too much about that and going too hard on that front. And so I, I think like I think he's dialing it back a little bit. But like I think he's also pretty transparent about, look, the thing I enjoy talking about and connecting with people about is like my business stuff. And that's basically what I tweet about. Follow me if you're into that. Let's make some deals happen. Um, and like I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's 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 all good. Um, I think look, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm in agreement there. You know, if, if I think there's a weird middle ground, though, I think there is a weird middle ground where, you know, suppose you're, swe- you're a sweaty startup guy, like, you know, you've been doing the self-storage stuff for a bit. This has, been your, this has been your hustle for like the past bunch of years. And then you discover Twitter and it's like, oh, cool, I can like connect with these people and like I can, I can like, you know, share what I do on, on my hustle and connect with other people who might be interested in it and, you know, collaborate as business partners and stuff. I think that's very understandable. I think where it gets weird is when it's when it's kind of something in the middle,
0: where, for example, where someone doesn't have an established business already and their Twitter bio says tweeting about productivity and self improvement, and they've just started a YouTube channel with, with five subscribers where they t- where they make videos about productivity and self improvement. Would that? I be- think so. I, I I think that is maybe weirder territory because
1: there is a sense of the, of there being a performance there. You know, uh, there, there's a sense of like. You know performing as if uh you know you are this you know what uh, to use your example like productivity guru or something um you know with with this, with sweaty startup there's 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 no sense of performance that this is like the thing he does and he's recent he's now started talking online about it and i think i think if if you don't have like in a you know for example like Sweaty startup guy is i think forty mid thirties something like that like he ha- he has a thing that he does. And now he started talking online about it. I think there are lots of people who do not yet have a well-defined thing that they do. They're still trying to figure it out, all of that kind of stuff. But when you look on Twitter, you see these people making, you know, these engagement bait threads. You, you know, you see people like presenting themselves in a certain way, like, oh, I'm the productivity guy. Or, I'm the X guy, all this kind of stuff. When you look at that, I think I think it's easy to get caught up in it and and really just kind of, Lose any kind of authenticity. I, I don't think sweaty startup is being inauthentic, but if you're someone who's still trying to like, you know, f- figure out what you care about, you know, figure out, figure out what you're interested in, what you know, what you're passionate about, all, all, all that kind of stuff. I, th- I think there's a trap of sort of influencer theater where you feel like you have you have to do that rather than just keep it real, be authentic, and you know, see what happens along the way. Yes,
0: um, it, but it come it comes down to that you know used car salesman at the networking event for the people who see through it and see that 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 is a performance is automatically cringe for the people who don't it's like oh i'm getting a business card and 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 this guy seemed cool Mm -hmm. equally i think i i think on twitter the amount of people who appreciate engagement bait is far far higher than the amount of people who see through engagement engagement bait as being performative uh you know influencer theater for the sake of gaining followers i think yeah, the the more you think about the meta game of socializing, the more you see that the emperor has no has no clothes. But in fact, the I don't know x thousand <coughs> the x thousand followers that influencer the theater guy will acquire by posting threads threads about productivity. Most of those people are one, are people who appreciate the thread. And so as yeah as someone who's, who who understands the meta game, it's just a different like obviously your response to it. Or one's response to, to to any any situation like that would be different then you know it's like it's like when you're at university and you're a first year and everyone's like okay cool everyone's being allegedly their authentic self by the time you get to third fourth fifth and sixth year and you see how the first years are, are interacting you can see you you understand the meta game and you see that there is a large amount of performing going on but when you're a first year, you're just like, oh, that person seemed cool. I want to take the number because I would really want to make friends. And I've heard that, you know, if you give out your number to people, then people, you more likely to be friends and you should add everyone on Facebook immediately and Instagram be like, you know, what's your Instagram? And then invite them to events. And whereas by the time you get to final year, you're like, oh God, I love that. You know, just be, you know, just keep it real, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, it's a, a big part of it. It's just, you know, this Ryan from Twitter has been on Twitter for 10 years. He's been on Clubhouse from day one. He's, you know, he's he's more than welcome to pass judgment on the first years, but you can't knock the first years for doing first year stuff
1: hmm that sounds like a fair point let me think about that okay i agree you can't knock the first years for doing first year stuff but there may be a potential issue where i mean to keep this analogy going the first year is doing first year stuff does not actually help them achieve their goals right so so, so ryan uh wrote another thing about clubhouse this was like a while ago last year like very very early on last year um so, ryan's been a big i'll just read out the post he says uh, i've been talk on the phone first for the last three years so he's a big fan of just like calling people up to him on the phone rather than texting blah blah blah. Um, and he's written some stuff about that and one of the points the one of the things that he thinks is very interesting about talking on the phone about like actually talking like on clubhouse like a, a conversation rather than tweeting and texting and things uh is that in in live dialogue there is a very different bar. Uh, he said, he, "And yeah, I think this, this is referring to clubhouse." He tweeted at some point last year. Funny to feel, uh, think boys oh, are at. He coined the term "think boy." <laughs> it's it's so good. <laughs> this is like this is now a general term, oh, uh, in the, the Twitter sphere because Ryan coined. Yeah, it's uh-huh. really good. <laughs> um, he, he says, it's funny to feel think boys exposing themselves after the first five minutes of discussion. Bulleted facts, Uncle Pete statements, no-brainer observations, fake biz inspo, don't hold up for long in live dialogue. Um, that, that's tweeted. Uh, and in this blog post, whatever, it, it's actually just like a Dropbox paper article. <laughs> uh, it's it's not, even, not even like on, a, on Medium or on blog or anything. <laughs> you love i love it man i love it uh he's, he's really keeping it real <laughs>
0: he really truly really is he's, keeping he's it real. Formatively keeping it real <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's more ethical
0: to write an article in dropbox paper than it is to just write it on your medium blog <laughs> on, on medium I, I i don't think so i don't i don't think he's actually just being performed he? Uh, anyway he said he says he
1: says look you know about someone you follow them on twitter you watch their videos you build this idea about them then you see them speak a thrill of excitement comes as you are now meeting them they open their mouth and you can't and you can't just wait for them to spit those same thoughts in person yet as you hear them you realize it's different they're not the same as their online persona that's a regular occurrence in clubhouse why Because talking and having to do so within an active conversation for 15 to 60 minutes is far different than editing videos, tweeting 178 characters, or being on a scripted podcast. It rivals truly meeting someone and perhaps even more pure, given that you can't be distracted by body language, aesthetics, and hundreds of other signals. It's not clubhouse specific, it's the medium. It would be the same at the beer garden. Um, Very quickly, you get a fuller picture of who they are. Can they actually listen? How high is their EQ, emotional quotient? If you're into that kind of thing, some people say this. Uh, can they speak to a sub, to a subject with depth that they so often tweet about? Uh, are they actually wildly funny? Do they ask thoughtful questions? Do they keep the beach ball going, etc.? Some folks certainly treat other social apps as a means to build a reputation and yield influence through distinctive tactics. That narrow and well honed pattern has the potential to get disrupted when you find yourself surrounded by actual voices, jokes, and questions. Um, he has a subheading says talking transforms that's why you call your mum, go to lunch with friends tap house party notifications and open facetime that's why we're all using zoom slack calls internet town upstream tandem and icebreaker for a mix of personal and professional uses these are all like talking apps Um, basically talking is actual social tweets and stories are just surface area meant to be talked about how do you use clubhouse you open your mouth and your ears that's it you're off and running and immediately are doing the most important thing talking it makes doing the most difficult thing very easy. Not every interaction in our day has to be synchronous, but if social distancing and quarantine have shown us one thing, is that you can't get by as an internet citizen, family member, or friend, uh, with endless swiping, scrolling, and tapping on feeds. Uh, you don't truly feel fulfilled so emotionally, socially, or mentally without conversation. You need to actively engage and earn the opportunity to get to random topics, nuance, stories, jokes, and depth through dialogue. Why folks listening and talking for hours after night, uh, hours night after night on Clubhouse because it's inherently healthy and normal. You don't get the same social media hangover and thoughts of regret you get by tapping passively on Instagram stories or TikToks or tweets for hours. I think that's a really good point. Um, like last last year when I was sort of using Clubhouse for a bit, I, I used it on and off for a couple of weeks in like July or something. Um, it really was quite magical. Like I'd I'd like stay up past my bedtime for like two, three hours, just like listening to people talk, uh, you know, at occasionally join the discussion it's so true that you don't have the same social media hangover after doing that compared to scrolling through Twitter for an hour, Instagram stories, whatever. Like it, it is fundamentally a different thing. Um, right. Not another, another tweet, uh, of, of his, which is embedded in the post. You can embed it. on Dropbox, uh, not Dropbox paper. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, hot take. The majority of people have been lazy with personal communication and friendships. Uh, if it took the quarantine to realize that actually talking to each other and not glancing at a feed or stories was the lifeblood for trust, context, and genuine connection. Uh uh right, there's another subheading. Why can't we just talk? Uh this is a tweet of his from 2019. He says, It's really this magical moment of time. Three, ten, forty, whatever. So refreshing and pure. When it's done, it just feels clean and refreshing. If you said I'm tripling the rate of your talking on the phone, I'd be up for it. Um uh, and, you know, there's this thing about like, our oh, kids don't like talking on the phone these days. And he says in response to that, I actually think it's that people know hear, know hearing each other's voice is essential and or fun. How you get to that point isn't. Uh, there's like a lot of social and logistical friction in getting to that point of hearing someone's voice and talking to them. Like it sometimes feel, feels awkward to like phone someone, right? It's, it's like, it's not a very standard thing to do nowadays. To, he says, today's phone call is a terrible packaging and delivery of something great. Uh, he says, "Good old phone app, FaceTime, Zoom, and Slack calls were all around pre-Clubhouse and pre-COVID. So why weren't people talking through talking through on those at a high rate before? Why are they now flocking to use these every day and night? Um, getting to talking was actually tough, both from a cultural norms perspective and a practical UX level. UX meaning like user experience of using a product. Uh, who wants to cold call their friends? Never mind their acquaintances. Who wanted or even thought to schedule reg- regular catch-ups? You couldn't actually tap your thumbs to start hearing someone's voice." who actually wanted to be on video for each FaceTime or house party push notification. Why can't we just talk? Who was going to go through the thumb tapping and mental effort to mix and match different pockets of groups to get overlapping friends on the same text thread to then group FaceTime audio with no agenda? Like there's a lot of friction to just arranging an impromptu voice hangout with people. Um, who was going to regularly slide into DMs of modern friends on Twitter and ask to hop on the phone call, get their number and set up a time without, a ca- and set up the time with a calendar invite? Again, lots of friction. Um, a non-starter if the ask for conversation wasn't around a meaningful topic or an explicit request of their time. You know, like a ton of friction, a ton of like weird social baggage around like, you know, DMing someone to say, Hey, let's, you know, let's just like chat for a bit. <laughs> I haven't got any agenda or topic. I just want to chat. <laughs> we can put it in the calendar if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such I, a weird thing to do.
0: Uh, have I told you about how, how I did this a few weeks ago? Well, you have your like friends can just book, a, work, book on your calendar. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got that. But um, there was this guy who I, uh, this other YouTuber that I wanted to be friends with. And I saw that he follows me on Twitter. So I DMed him being like, Hey, this is gonna sound weird, but I think we've got a lot in common. We should be friends. And he replied, <laughs> I, f- "I felt so scared about doing that." And he replied, no, really?" Being like my thoughts exactly. And then I, and I said, "Fancy phone call sometime soon?" <laughs> and then gave him a calendar link. And he was like, "Wow, that's so organised. Sure, let's. Well, we're chatting at seven p.m. today." And and it oh, was even nice. like like last week, I got I got another message from someone who I follow on Instagram, who's also a YouTuber. And she said, "Hey, Ali, I, re- I didn't realize you were following me on, me on Instagram. Um, just wanted to say hi. Love your content." And I just said. Hey, we should be friends. I, I I don't think I said we should be friends, but I, I, I said something like, hey, we'd love to have a chat on the phone sometime. <laughs> yeah. If you're up for it, are you free at any of these times? Calendly link. And we chatted yesterday and just, she's in America, is a YouTuber, Um, used to be a software engineer and we just kind of had a chat about general stuff. That was great. <laughs> so I want to, I, so d- I definitely want to do this. Hey, should we just talk on the phone? Yeah, yeah. I think. I think right now, I actually prefer mm I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about audio only versus audio video. Really? Cause there is something, I think, I feel like for a first meeting, it, it is nice to see what someone looks like and, you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. On a Zoom call. but for subsequent meetings, audio only, I think is much more, I don't know, like I can, I can, I can walk around the house. I can like go for a walk. I can, I can do whatever audio only once I don't need to see the face anymore. Yeah.
1: I do think there's something nice about audio only and being able to like walk around and not having to like maintain composure um in terms of what you're doing. But that's that's really cool man. But it feels weird, right? Like it felt like a really weird thing for you to say like, oh, let's just chat. <laughs> yeah,
0: it felt it felt weird. Um the more I do it the 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 more desensitized I'm becoming to it. Mm. And so like yeah, I just want to <laughs> yeah, I want to want to keep it going. Yeah, that's great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was actually originally Ryan one of Ryan's tweets or one of his Dropbox papers or something <laughs> that got me to start calling people up on the phone when I started doing this a few months ago um uh yeah just to like finish the thing you know he says who was going to talk with perfect strangers that they didn't even know existed you don't because you literally can't go try to try and talk live with one stranger in the world tonight just one or maybe just a friend of a friend then try to go do do that every night uh what's the easiest way to get people talking place them in the same room right next to each other that's elimination of friction whether it's a best friend friend acquaintance or stranger you'll have to start talking just don't open up with a lame. So how do you know our mutual friends? Uh, and you'll be fine. Uh, Clubhouse borrows a room metaphor and brings that to life with your ears. You just plop into a room and start listening and start talking if you like. It's effortless. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the rest of the post just talks about Clubhouse and why why like they've really hit onto something. Um, Ryan also has this concept of uh, modern friends, uh, another sort of terminology that it hasn't really made into the Twitter mainstream like Think Boys. Um But he says modern friends are simply relationships that primarily originate and develop through digital channels. It's like, you know, friends who are very much real life friends that you make on Twitter or, you know, on on whatever. Uh, I think that's a useful concept. The best way to know if you would get, get along with someone, question mark, talk to them or listen to them for an hour. It will be quite apparent where you now fall on the how much do I appreciate their vibe spectrum. If it took many months of looking at someone's sparse tweets to understand if you would want to grab a beer, coffee, or a phone call with them, it takes about a week of passive listening plus talking to get the same confidence. Um, A bunch more stuff about Clubhouse. ah, And then, yeah, this is another interesting thing he says the actual amount of two-way discussion that follows relative to the initial velocity and strength of hot takes signaling and online spats is staggeringly low take a second to reflect on the last week of fights takedowns and feuds you have witnessed on your timeline now imagine being able to ask each main contributor if they would like to actually talk about said points of debate tolerance for those all too convenient fingers on keyboard takes and virtue signaling has fallen to an all-time low Now that I've experienced clubhouse and small group voice chats, each time I see one of these debates kicking off, I think, if you really cared about this for yourself and others, you'd talk this through. Sure, we'll we'll become a small audience, but I want to hear you get to nuance and depth on the subject. Stop polluting our timeline with surface-level emotional takes. It's partly a human problem and partly a medium problem. Folks are never going to want to admit they're wrong or acted inappropriately. But tweets and rambling threads are a format that make it inherently worse to actually find common ground or discover where each actually stands. Right now, the precedent is to shout, never get into the details, and continue parading your point of view in subsequent tweets and podcasts for months. You're never forced to meet your mental master. The clubhouse format of active dialogue is quite clarifying. It forces you to be human. And if you truly care about maintaining a reputation, you will have to handle a conversation there quite differently. If the point of conflict is centered around a different life, business, or social perspective, uh, I actually think one stands to win or lose a lot more credibility slash karma slash reputation for how they handle the discussion as opposed to the merits of the original point. There's no hiding and you've got a lot to lose if you can't be civil and respectful. Um, yeah, like, the post goes into a lot more stuff. Um but yeah, I do think like I, I think I've mentioned this before. Like the format of chatting on the podcast, I think it, it just like forces you to like have a have a productive conversation. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's it's like it's it's a good. Like, I think live dialogue a is just like very good because you have to like look at the other, you know, sort of face the other person as a human being rather than as a as an anime avatar on Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think like the format of like live discussion
0: is yeah it really is the it is the way to do it yeah on that note i was thinking that i feel like this this thing of having no agenda is is actually very very valuable and one of one of the sticking point one of the sticking points with me or the non-sticking points with me for this podcast was the need to come up with a topic every week but i think since we've become okay with the you know what we'll just talk about whatever we don't need a topic for the week i think i think like having topic free episodes is also valuable um slash useful slash the way that we're approaching this is more about at least for me that it's just nice to have a chat and if people want they can listen in and so i think the the emphasis that we had in the past about oh this week's topic has to be good was probably i mean it was it was fine at the time but i think we've now evolved kind of away from that yeah, I think
1: I think early on we used to get a little bit anxious or nervous if we didn't have a concrete topic because then it's like, oh, what are we going to talk about? But I think there's always stuff to talk about. Like stuff just comes up. Like today we were sort of planning to do this righteous mind yeah, thing, but we up not doing it. Doing it right? Hell. Um, yeah, but look, just to go back to the to the grifting thing, I feel like I I do want to take a position on this rather than just yeah. We've, we've sort of talked about it in a very in a very uh, hedged is the wrong word, but very inconclusive way. Okay, I think if your intention is to use Twitter or you know replace Twitter with any social media. If your intention is to use this thing as a business tool, it's a great business tool. Go for it. You know, you know, like I definitely can't fault you for that. You'll have a ton of fun, you'll you know probably make a bunch of money and stuff. Good for you. I think a lot of people are are playing the role of the Twitter businessman when their intention isn't really to use it as a business thing because they don't they, because a they don't yet have like a business that they can you know start doing on Twitter and b I think I think what a lot of people want is actually the genuine connection people want the genuine connection people want to be able to keep it real people want to be able to connect with others and really truly really make friends you know if you can if you can sort of monetize some stuff along the way that's all well and good but the thing is I think I think that like the Look just just by making friends with people, there's a lot of like monetary benefits that will come out of that in an unexpected way like Ryan, for example, you know has less than eight thousand Twitter followers um but you know he i think he's you know he he's made a lot of sort of deep connections and genuine friendships with people and built like a very strong and well known reputation for himself within within the tech community where like for example. A year ago or whatever, when he decided to quit his job and start his startup, he had absolutely no problems raising funding because a bunch of, you know, rich investors had been following him for like years and knew that this guy was really smart, really thoughtful, really legit, keeps it real. You know, all the kind of stuff you'd want in a business partner. And so, like, honestly, I think if you're someone who doesn't have, if you're not, if you're not like sweaty startup where you you have this established thing and you can very, very legibly say that, you know, I have this thing i want to like i want to push it forwards and i'm using twitter in order to do that if you don't have that thing i think you're probably doing more harm than good by play acting in that way because harm- i think more harm than good
0: sorry more harm than good i'm not sure i, I, I agree what do you what do you mean by that um okay look it's hard to just uh, okay. yeah well, I, and, I guess that's and, a hard and to be clear by by play acting on twitter you mean sort of being a think boy yes okay i, th- I think like mm. what what be, be, being a think boy does work uh, okay so does work for what mm-hmm. <laughs> okay look this is in my uh role as the head instructor for the part-time youtuber academy i run into this question quite a lot the question of what the hell do i make videos about and do i need a niche do i need an angle do i need, do i want to be the notion guy do i want to be the seo girl do i want to be like whatever the way to grow on youtube is by niching down it's by being the notion guy or, or by being the Rome note-taking girl, or whatever. Like by having a box that you can put into that you create, qu- create content around, and then people find the content because it's searchable, and people care about finding educational content. And then the, hopefully, the model is that they'll follow you because they like your personality, and you'll then be able to you, you know leverage that in some way further down the line for friendships, for connections, for selling stuff, for doing whatever you want, basically. Okay. The issue is this thing of how do I how do I find this niche? And I think it's the same problem on Twitter. It's like let's let's imagine there is a twenty one year old medical student who has who's who follows me, listens to the podcast, uh, watches Matt DiVella's and Thomas Frank's videos on YouTube, and that has, and, and maybe listens to Tim Ferris. Uh, you know that that sort of person. We, like I know a lot of people who fit that particular profile. Now let's say that person wants to start a YouTube channel or wants to start going on Twitter. It's a lot easier said than done to say, look, man, just be your authentic self. Like the only their only real content diet is, you know, the productivity business self-help canon. Right. And it's 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 like the meta-game rather than any kind of game itself, right? Quite, yeah. And maybe yeah. And, and, and this podcast, maybe they're getting some ideas from this, and probably a few people listening to this are like, damn, that fits me perfectly. And so if that person wants to start a YouTube channel, they're like, well, what the hell do I, do I talk about? I have no credibility other than the fact that I'm a medical student. So why don't I make, I guess I could make videos about medicine, but I don't really want that because I'm graduating in two years time. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of into productivity. I'm kind of into tech. I've got an iPad. I've got, I've got an iPhone. I've got my uh, Remarkable 2 tablet. Let me just start, I don't know, making a productivity tips video. Let me just start making a this. And you know what? Twitter. Twitter seems good. The sorts of people I follow on Twitter are like, you know, the, the James Clears and the Julian Shapiros. And oh, these people are tweeting threads with insights. Why don't I start doing the same? like it's I, I i can fully empathize with that person because it's that fear it's 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 that problem of when you don't know when you don't have your own sweaty startup when you're not a 40 year old dude who's been buying store self-storage real estate and making money off of it for the last 20 years what the hell do you like okay like like we all know that it, it is valuable to put yourself out there online but how how do you put yourself out there online in a way that doesn't already parrot the sort of stuff that you have seen and that you've seen work and the, the stuff that brought you in in the first place? I wouldn't I wouldn't knock said 21-year-old medical student for being a think boy on Twitter because that's kind of all they know. And they know that way. That <laughs> I think they- that's really harsh. I think that's a really harsh thing to say. No, that's, that's, all <laughs> that's all they know. That's all they know All they know on Twitter. They're not following people like Ryan. He's only got 8,000 followers. They're following people like James Clear and David Perel and Tim Ferriss and Naval with like you know hundreds of thousands if not millions of followers between them and the and and the, and what those guys are doing is being think boys on twitter essentially <laughs> and so it's 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 way too easy to knock that person because otherwise like they they know they don't want the, they they know they want to escape the quote rat race of the full time job they know that being an online creator is one way of doing that and they know that being a think boy on twitter is one way of being an online creator and so a leads to b leads to c And it's so easy to knock that and be like, hey, man, get some original insight. What do you want them to do? Read, I don't know, Plato's The Cave and be like, you know, I read Plato's The the, the Cave. Here's a thread. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) You and then follow Sahil from Gumroad are going to see that and think, oh my God, this guy, (laughs) this guy's performing. But the guy, you know, (laughs) <laughs> all right i don't to do i think you're you're assuming a lot about sahil from government
1: i don't think he knocks this stuff nearly as much as you think he
0: does no he's just like collecting I, tweet back being like hey uh, <laughs> i learned 10 things from billionaires and <laughs> thread next one <laughs> they don't read threads like this
1: yeah look a lot of people have been mocking the thread thing um
0: i i think you're mischaracterizing sahil <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm i'm using him as like a okay um, fine you know just as a yeah. stereotype
1: yeah I mean, his, his thing on Twitter is mostly tweeting like fortune cookie type startup advice. Um, I'm curious as to what he's doing there. This isn't,
0: about, this isn't about Sahil from Gumroad. This is about yeah. <laughs> a successful startup founder who, who who knocks people for... Or, you know... All right, Sahil is not that. All right, whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> who, who, make, who, who, who pokes fun at, at Think Boys, essentially.
1: I'm I sure think he- most of the people who poke fun at Think Boys are like not, you know, like if you run a... Sort of fairly prominent company. You're probably not going to be poking fun at
0: most people. Replace Sahel from Grumroad with Ryan from Twitter, who's definitely going okay. to make of Think Boy from for writing a thread about the cave.
1: <laughs> <sighs> okay, look. The issue. Wait. Do, do you actually have a hard stop at one? Um, but just what is it? Just move it. We're not at the bottom of this, and I think I think this is really important. I, ca- I, ca- I, ca- I can. Do it, I can have your music. minutes. I'll,
0: I'll message her and say, hey, let's do this mock interview. Fifteen minutes later. Okay.
1: Um, look. The thing is, I think, I think the issue is when the goal is to build an audience, right? You know, like, Why is it's, that- it's Why- this extra, it's, it's, it's this like extrinsic thing, man. And look again, like from a business point of view, yes, understandable. You okay, know. No,
0: the, the goal is to build an audience, but the, the way you get to the goal is by creating stuff that people find useful. These people are simply trying to create stuff that people find useful and people are finding it useful okay but it's just that the process of creating that stuff feels inauthentic to some people because they are, they they're the final years knocking the first years for not being their authentic selves where the first years are really just trying to make friends. Ryan from Twitter is a final year. He's he's a freaking PhD student who's been at the university <laughs> for all years who's knocking the first years for not keeping it real. That is unfair.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's correct because you you're acting like the only game to be played on twitter is the like building an audience grift and and the way you're talking is almost as if you know the people like ryan went through that building an audience grift and now that now that they have some followers and they've made some friends they're now enlightened and they can look down on other people
0: I'm, I'm i don't saying, think that's what's going on nothing it's the only game to be played on twitter i'm saying it is one very legible game that people can play on twitter to achieve their goal of i want to be a creator online the way i know i know you the the, the way to become a creator online is by providing useful content creating a thread about the, you know, my, my, my book review of Plato's the cave is actually a very good way of providing useful content online.
1: Yeah. look, Yeah. I, I have, I have no issue. That's fine. <laughs> I think threads are really valuable. I think it's very interesting to see the different kinds of threads that there are. For example, there's a guy called, um, there's a chap called Dan Rose who, um, used to be an exec at like Facebook and Amazon. And now he's the, the chairman of a fund called KOTU, uh, which is like a a hedge fund and they also do like startup investments um and his threads are really interesting he posts he posts maybe like one thread a week or something just about some like interesting war story from his time at amazon or his time at facebook about like some problem that the company was going through you know how, how they like resolved it and stuff like that and i think that those threads have like a different like those are interesting. Like, uh, oh, Yeah, of course, wow. because he's got some, he's got those some are very interesting.
0: <laughs> talk about. The think boy is not likely to be a 45 year old exec Amazon and Facebook who's got interesting war stories that other people would, would find interesting. It's likely to be a kid who doesn't really have much of a much kind of unique life experience other than maybe being a medical student having gone through school, which is not a particularly unique thing. Trying to dabble into the world of putting themselves out there online and having this bar of your thread has to be interesting. It's like, well, I mean, it's. I, I I would be interested. No, no, I think I think book threads are. I think I I,
1: th- okay. I think a book summary thread is interesting. I have nothing nothing against book summary threads. I think I think the issue is more the mind the performative mindset, and like yes, an I, I think. Sorry, why is that an issue? I think I think the performative mindset detracts from, you know, like fine, you, you could you could you could do a you, you could sort of be very performative for, you know, two to three years, build up like a, a medium-sized following, and then you can, you know, come out of Plato's cave enlightened. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and then you can be like, all right, I'm done with the performatism, you know. Sure. Me, I'm now going to lock my Twitter account. <laughs> oh, mate, there was a really funny tweet where, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda locked his Twitter account at like 800,000 followers or something. And someone like screenshotted that and said, <laughs> and said so something like, "Ah, oh, finally, <laughs> now it's just me and the population of Bosnia." <laughs> because like he locked his Twitter account despite having like loads of followers. Um, anyway, like yes, you, you could you could be like super performative for three years, build up a medium sized following, then change tactics, decide to start keeping it real, discover your authentic self, all that kind of stuff. That's one way to do it. But I think you can actually also just do that from the start. You know, <laughs> with with what? Sorry.
0: With what? Ima- okay, imagine you're me uh, at the age of like nineteen, where my exp- or, or, or rather at the age of, at the age of twenty one, where I haven't yet started my YouTube channel, and I've just I'm a I'm a medical student. What the hell do you want me to tweet about?
1: You, dude, tweet about. I don't think I don't think tweeting about life as a medical student is like not keeping it real. I don't think that's sure. you, you I, can do that in a non performative way. Okay, but I, I think that's absolutely. I haven't got an issue with that. Okay, so,
0: uh, I, okay, fine. I can I can tweet about life as a medical student. Uh, let's say I want, to, I want to become an online creator because I'm like this medical student thing isn't, I don't want this to be my full-time hustle. Would you not, you, you surely wouldn't knock me for, I don't know, tweeting a thread about productivity or, to, or tweeting a thread about how I manage my time as a medical student, which would very, you know, very, is very much on the verge of falling into Ryan, Ryan from Twitter's camp of performative threading to grow a follower account, engagement base. In fact, medical Twitter would think it's even more performative if you were like, you know, I just had my first patient death, a thread of lessons that I've learned. People would cringe at that but it would get followers it would get likes it would get retweets it would be like oh this guy's interesting you know there there is a, there is a game to be played here and the game to be played and 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 one way of one way of playing the game is by <laughs> providing pithy and useful content about the stuff that you know and when you don't know anything other than the canon of productivity books and youtube channels that is all the content that you can produce when you're a 50 year old amazon exec okay fine <laughs> you know right okay i think you i think you're wrong on two counts here okay
1: i think the, the the first way in which you're wrong is that you are conflating stuff that will get likes and engagement with stuff with stuff that is actually useful um um i I, th- I think that's
0: i i don't think that's the case i don't know i think i feel like likes and engagement are a reasonable reasonable rough proxy for useful to the person who's liked and engaged with it the, okay me liking a tweet a, a tweet where someone's like my 10 favorite youtubers someone 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 ali Abdal seventh on the list sure i agree that is that, that's a realm in which like is not is not correlated with whether this is actually useful but a thread from julian shapiro or james clear or anyone about 10 lessons they've learned from reading plato's the cave a like a like there all of the likes there are not you know are very highly correlated with this thread being useful and useful threads is how you grow an audience on twitter and growing an audience on any on insert social platform x is how you monetize that audience further down the line which is how you become a you know you enter the creator economy and then you release a course i think and I think it is like, a grifter. <laughs> I think it is a weaker proxy than you think. I think
1: f- in, in the in the realm of tweets that will get ten likes, you know, uh, all right, let, let's say something more interesting. In the realm of tweets that will get good engagement, there are there are ones that are more genuinely useful, and that there and there are ones that are less genuinely useful. Okay. And I think I think the it's it, what you were saying amounts to saying like, oh yeah, I think Buzz, I think BuzzFeed listicles, you know, are, are equally as meaningful as, you know, as, you know, what would be the opposite? I don't know. Some like long, long form piece in the New Yorker. I, th- I think, well, BuzzFeed listicles get more likes and shares on Facebook. And so that's like, that's a good proxy for like usefulness or meaningfulness compared to this long form
0: piece in the New Yorker. Right. I, I think that's just nonsense. Do you agree um, with that? Okay. No, I disagree with that. What? I think it depends on uh, it depends on your definition of useful. More people are reading the BuzzFeed listicle. It's more accessible to a, hu- a mass audience. The New York Times has a has a paywall behind it. Um it's got it's like some long ass 10,000-word essay that a handful of people are going to read. I think <laughs> I, I I think right. you you, you, that that, no, that no, Buzzfeed no, listicle you can't. is more useful than a 10,000-piece word piece in the New Yorker that fewer people are going to read. Sure, maybe it's not contributing to the meta discourse, but like what's what's your what's your marker for utility here? right i think i think my market for utility
1: is certainly not it's certainly not likes and retweets and I, I think i think it is broadly accepted that uh, the sort of like and retweet game and like a, you know a, a game of grabbing people's attention okay. does okay. definitely lead to local minimas yep. where yes you can you can have a ton of stuff you you can garner a lot of attention for something that is not useful that does not contribute posit- positively to you know people's lives it, it it's a it, it's a very common failure mode of social media for that to happen and so for you for you to say that just because it has likes it's a good
0: let's move away from individual tweets and let's move towards follower. follow okay do, uh, would uh, okay do you accept that people follow twitter accounts whose tweets they find interesting insightful or useful or entertaining yeah sure do you accept that follower account is therefore a valid a, a somewhat reasonable proxy for how useful people think this twitter account is ah uh, dude i think it's just a lot more complicated than that Okay. I I agree, which is why I'm saying, do you accept that it's a rough proxy? Like James Clear's Twitter account with a million followers is, you know, in some more useful than someone else's Twitter account with a hundred followers. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's obviously
1: a very extreme example. I think most of James Clear's followers came after he became prominent for his book. I I mean, mean, he has like a, he had like a long time blog newsletter before that. I think about habits for like a decade. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But like, I don't think his million followers represents like, okay, for, to use Ryan as an example, Ryan has 8,000 followers. And I think the the genuine human connection per follower is obviously much higher. And probably even like the the, the, the total human connection from someone like Ryan with his 8,000 followers, sure. I think dwarfs people
0: with hundreds of thousands of followers. Sure, that's fine. I mean, the, 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 that's a, a conversation of depth versus breadth. Ryan goes deep with a small a smaller number of people that depth is significantly greater than the sort of surface level that someone tweeting fortune cookies is likely to have with a, a bigger swath of people. I think we're agreed on that one.
1: Yeah, how do we get onto this? I think you said something around
0: uh, okay. My, something. my point, is, okay, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel like I don't understand what, what you're actually saying. What I'm saying is that you can't knock people for playing the game when they don't have anything, quote, interesting to talk about.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah. That was, okay, so the, the first thing I disagree with you on was that you said, like, likes equals usefulness. And I don't... Uh, yeah, we, we just talked oh, about I'm that. I'm, I'm saying too. You're important. saying likes is a good proxy. And I, I I, think that is like, I think it's not a good proxy as like any, you know, I mean, look at anything that's ever, that's been said about like, you know, the attention economy on social media. Like, I, I think everyone agrees that likes is, it's not a great proxy for usefulness. Um, At, the, at least not, you know, not when it's,
0: so easy to like click like on a feed my you know my my broader point is not about likes being a proxy for usefulness it's about you can't knock people for okay yeah 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 tweeting uh stuff that you think is not interesting when they don't have anything quite interesting to talk about
1: here's the thing i think i think that is i think that's really problematic i think that is like that is like so demeaning like j- just because someone's like 21 rather than 50 doesn't mean they haven't got anything meaningful or interesting that's sort of authentic and real and personal to tweet or talk about. That's just not the case in the slightest. Yes, fine. It, 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 it's probably not business experience on the same level as Dan Rose, who's been an executive sort of big tech companies for 20 years. They won't be tweeting about that.
0: I guarantee it. This, okay, fine. This person, again, we're, we're, we're talking about two different use cases of social media. This person is not in the room to have an authentic connection and make friends and stuff this person is in the room because they're like I want to be a full-time I want to be a creator and I want to I want to I want to make money in the creator economy and the way I do that is by creating pithy threads about insights that I've read read from books that's different to Amazon executive making pith, pithy threads about insights from his 50 years at Amazon it is like a different ball game there but but both are both are ultimately creating no, no, I, I, useful I,
1: I no no I I I agree it's a different ball game I think for for the person who has less less life experience mm. I think the goal a lot of people have, like, like, yeah, certainly a big goal a lot of people have is to make money as a creator, you know? Okay. And that's like the primary thing and they can figure out what that means later. They can figure out like, okay, you know, what what will my topic be later? Again, I, I personally feel like that's a bit backwards. I, I, th- I think you can kind of, the, the, I think the two can sort of be intertwined and there's a spectrum of like completely pandering to what will get likes and retweets and things like that, which we sort of touched on at the start of this, podcast um when you were talking about your book and like um like maximizing audience sure. I, I think there's a spectrum from like completely pandering and you know m- you know s- sort of not yeah, yeah. kind of lo- uh, losing yourself in order to just like get you know
0: yeah there's a, a balance to be struck between what i want to create and what i know my audience will want to read and trying to right let that line right
1: and i think when the starting point is i want to build an audience you are a hundred percent on the pandering side and that is why there are so many people Kind of peddling, peddling the same metagame stuff when the metagame is really there in servitude of some actual game, right? And I think, I think if you know, I think what people want to do is find their actual game. I think if you're if you're young, you're in a process of like figuring out what that is. Um, And I think, I think this doesn't really, you know, sort of having a goal of becoming a creator. About you know whatever whatever you can possibly become a creator about.
0: No, it's 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 not about whatever I can possibly become a creator about. It's whatever interests me and that skirts that Venn diagram between things I like, things I'm good at, and things that that the audience will pay me for. Crucially, and if you and if you have that, and you're like, well, I don't I don't really know what this looks like. I'm still in the process of figuring out my personal monopoly. You can do a lot worse than by being a think boy on Twitter to grow that audience and use that. And 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 now that you have a bit of a following, a few hundred followers on Twitter from your think boy tweets, now dabbling with like, you know what? I'm I'm actually really interested in uh, offshore oil mining rigs. Let me start, you know, tweeting a few things about that and seeing and just kind of seeing what happens because this is something I'm, I'm genuinely interested. in. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I, it's all it's all part of the of the figuring it out phase. And you can't knock people for sounding like think boys when this when they when they're trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I've, uh, I'm sympathetic towards that. Like,
0: yeah, I think, I think there's like, my main issue is that I don't want you to knock people who are first years for not for doing first year things.
1: I, th- okay. I, th- I think this framing is wrong by describing it as first year things. You're pretending like there, there is one way to kind of do things.
0: No. Right. Obviously- and that everyone goes through this thing. Obviously no analogy is perfect, but like you get the, the, what, what I'm trying to say. Sorry. Obviously no analogy is perfect, but you get what I mean by first year things. And people who are figuring it out where someone more who's more experienced with the metagame thinks, oh, performative threading, performative think boy-ness.
1: No, dude. I think that, look, the whole point of the first year analogy is that everyone goes through that phase of being a first year and like wanting to make friends and stuff like that. And everyone, you know, does that in broadly the same way. My whole point here is that, the, you know, that even if your goal is to be like a you know become a full-time creator or, or whatever you know make money from an audience and stuff like that i think there are there are ways to do that there are a lot more authentic and a lot less performative and my bet i mean my my bet is that we are nearing we're nearing peak creator performatism i think i think this shit is getting old uh, and i think people are realizing it hmm. and the next wave is not going to look like the previous wave and i can agree with that and sure you know there's always the option of mimicking the previous wave in anything in order to like get ahead in that thing i think now you know i think now is a dangerous time to be doing that i think that wave is crested i think there is a new wave and you know i think people are genuinely tiring of this approach and like more authentic Again, if your goal is to become like a creator, whatever, I think more authenticity will actually help you from here on out. Three years ago, that was probably not true. I think from here on out, it actually will. Okay. Um, but the point should not be, you know, I think there, there should and there can be more to it than just like, I want to get lots of followers. Like you, you can you can do that at the same time as like being authentic, keeping it real and like figuring
0: yourself out. Okay, again, I, I, I agree with you. My issue is... Give, I, and, and I suppose I'm coming from this in a, from a different angle, given that I am giving practical advice to people who want to become creators. And every single one at the start has this issue of like, what the hell do I make videos about? What the hell do I write about? What the hell do I tweet about? And we know, and this is pretty widely, widely. Okay, look, you know, the, the problem with the whole be your authentic self is that at the start where you have no audience, there is no way for people to discover you because you're not creating stuff that audiences find inherently useful or at least surface level useful.
1: Yeah, look, th- yeah, there is a legibility issue around like, you know, p- if, if so- people need to be able to see okay, what kind of stuff does this does, does this person tweet about whatever. I agree there is a bit of a legibility issue. And so you do need to
0: sorry? There's a huge legibility issue. There are YouTube channels that I've been again, you know, making one video a week for the last two years that were, where the videos are good, but like there is no clear niche to them. There's no clear like oh, he's not is is this is the Notion guy. The Notion guy goes from zero to fifty thousand in a year by being the Notion guy and builds a one billion a million dollar business off the back of that. The I'm keeping it authentic and making the sort of videos that I want to watch, the sorts of videos that I would have want to see. Guy goes from zero to a hundred subscribers on, on YouTube in the same amount of time with the same amount of work. Sure, the Notion guy is, is you know, probably not being his authentic self because he's not talking about the stuff that actually pro- genuinely interests him. He's yeah. He's he's he's, he's providing he's providing a service. He's being useful in 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 that sense, and so when I'm when I'm talking to the 21 year old medic, and they're saying, "Hey, Ali, what what do I tweet about? What do I make videos about?" Yeah, I can't just say, "Look, man, just be your authentic self," because you know the, the 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 wave of creators creating threads of useful pithy tips is gone, and that's where I'm approaching this. Whereas I feel you're approaching this more from the meta game of Twitter, where the the accounts that you give the most respect to are the ones who tweet authentic insights or authentic, sorry, potentially not even insights. Just don't, don't say the word insight (laughs) authentically (laughs) Whereas business that I'm in is helping people grow following so that they can then monetize that following further down the line by creating authentic content in the long run. But in the short term, you do have to play the game of what's, what is a niche amount of content that I can offer that in, given that I have no sort of unique selling point in terms of my life experience, what am I going to make content about other than the productivity canon that I follow on YouTube? Okay, look, I,
1: I okay, look, I'm sympathetic towards that. I, I think, I, I think I probably go too hard on the angle of like, um, kind of keeping it real and have and having like the, the purest um, intentions before getting into something. And I think that is that is a stupid bar. Like, for example, I'm very happy to admit that I primarily go to the gym because I think, um, I think being in shape makes me more attractive to women. And garners me more respect broadly from men and women in society. Like that's the primary reason I go to the gym. I don't think those are, I don't think those are particularly pure intentions, but Hey, if it gets me to go to the gym and, and stay healthy and, 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 you know, all all of this other stuff, it can't be the worst thing in the world. So look, I I'm sympathetic towards that. Like I totally get it that legibility is important. And you know, if you're starting a YouTube channel, fine. I totally agree that like you need to have some sort of niche so people can see what they're kind of getting into. I agree with that. I just think that I think to an extent, Twitter and and YouTube are maybe different, but I'm I'm not, I'm not interested in getting into like the details of like, you know, the best way to use each platform. Okay. Look, I I agree with what you're saying. I guess, I guess my point is (laughs) I think people should just, I I think there is, I mean, the, the thing you're describing by the way of like, oh, you know, the way to grow on YouTube and stuff like that is by having this niche, doing this stuff, you'll get to 50K in year one, you'll get to 500K in year two, you know, this uh, sort of... But I'm saying that the
0: way to grow fast sure. is by having a niche. Uh, As opposed to just, you know, creating a, a content that feels authentic to you uh, that doesn't necessarily have a utility or a clear legible yeah, it, the,
1: Look, the thing is, you're, you're kind of, I think you can. I think you can have authentic stuff that has utility oh, 100%, and yeah. that is legible.
0: That's, that's literally the aim. The aim is to, how can you, you know, given that we're all setting the same sunlight, how can, you sh- how can you be the lens to shape that sunlight in a way that feels authentic to you, that, you know, showcases your personality, that sort of shows your weird quirks on camera. Even thinking about this systematically in terms of like, you know, the different branding elements and, you know, special language and why do I use the word Wasteman and Friends in every video? Because it's, you know, why do I make toilet jokes? Why do I talk about, oh, I went, I went for a poo the other day? Like, this is all stuff that shows somewhat performatively my real self, uh, because there's is stuff I talk about in real life. And that is one of the things that helps people connect to a creator. It's the fact that, oh, wow, you know, this person is showing their quirks and they're being authentic online. Of course that's important. Okay. Okay. I also have to go like very soon. I promised doing, I, I would do a mock interview for someone 20 minutes ago. So, okay.
1: Let me, let me just, let me just say one final thing. Look, I agree with you. I think, I think, you know, I, I, th- I think, you you know, we, we shouldn't knock people too hard for doing that kind of stuff. But I think everyone also has a goal of, um, of of creating things of substance and of developing their own personal you know intellectual curiosities in a substantial way. And I think the point Ryan made about how, you know, some, you follow someone on Twitter for a while, they have like tens of thousands of followers, they get loads of like likes and stuff, and then you meet them in real life and and they're sort of, you know, 10 times less interesting, engaging blah blah blah. I th- I think that I think that's a very real thing and I think I, I, I don't think anyone wants to be that. I think people do want to develop sust- substantially Agreed. as as a person while doing the creative thing. I agree. The creative thing is more of a business thing. I think, I think everyone will also want to develop substantially outside of that. And I think the more kind of, I, I, I think focusing, you know, the the more sort of authentic stuff, if you want to call it that the, the, the more unique, personal, authentic, like non, non think boy, non engagement bait, non like optimizing for follower growth i think that stuff um is more likely to lead to meaningful and substantial like personal development of, of, of your own interests and things
0: okay i agree so it's it's it sounds like i think i think the crucial bit was that that's more likely to lead to personal development of your own interests whereas think boy engagement bay is still and maybe this wave will change but it's still more likely to lead to more rapid follower growth yeah of course of course so if you're in the, if you're in the if you're in the business initially of being a creator so that you can you know pay some of the bills i i wouldn't knock anyone for doing think boy engagement bait but yeah i agree <laughs> you know this is partly why i am now uh, you know i think well one thing you used to rail against me for is the fact that i don't read widely outside of the productivity canon or the business book canon um and my thing on, in the past was always that look this there's, there's still so much low-hanging fruit here that's I can, I, can, I, can, I can essentially be a think boy on YouTube by recycling insights from other people. Um, but now that I'm trying to create my own my own stuff, it's now about, okay, cool, let me find as many obscure PDFs as I possibly can. Um, and so my point is that, yeah, being a think boy is fine, <laughs> if depending on what, what your goals are. But of course, you know, reading outside of your subject and being a bit more well-rounded and developing intellectual curiosity is likely to lead to better personal development and likely more authentic connections with people just... It's 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 more about the personal and less about the business in that sense. And the problem here is because is that Twitter and social media in general is a platform for both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's
1: kind of what creates all of this tension. Ah, all right, that was a long ass episode. Let's, let's read a review and uh, what a day. Yeah. All right, we we'll read a four star review. It's entitled "Love the podcast, but." Uh, Joe something, something, something from Great Britain says, I'm actually a huge fan and have listened to every episode, but I found the last couple of episodes have been a bit slow. I'm not sure exactly what has changed, but I was wondering if you had changed the day and time you record. For example, I am least inclined to overthink and talk with my friends on a Sunday evening. And maybe subconsciously, subconsciously um, this is what's going on. Uh, yeah, not, uh, not sure what's going on there. Maybe the last few episodes have been a bit slow. Mm,
0: yeah, I I felt like we, felt- haven't, we haven't had... Um, I feel like for the last few episodes, we haven't had substantial clear topics to talk about. Mm-hmm. And awesome. so you, when we're thinking out loud, stuff is likely going to feel slower than when we have stuff. prepared.
1: I, no, no, I, th- I, I interpret it slow as meaning like low energy or like we're less engaged or something like that. Yeah, yeah something to bear in mind, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I think, yeah, R- remote recording. Uh, who knows? But yeah, thanks, Joe, for the, for, the, for the input. Cool. All right. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks a lot for listening. Look forward to seeing all your Twitter Threads. And uh, see you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye.